0: Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you peoples, shout to joy with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the most high is awesome, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God is king over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God He is highly exalted. The Word of God for the people of God. God.
1: So, good morning. As Allison mentioned a moment ago in the welcome, we are beginning this morning our journey through the sacred season of Lent. For thousands of years, Christians have been using this season, this six weeks leading up to Easter. Essentially 40 days, if you don't count Sundays. To look closely at our lives and to, to ask hard questions. To do an honest assessment of our journey to and toward and with God. It's also a season of making space in our hearts for that which is holy. For, for clearing out some of the clutter in order to make room for the deep goodness of life that is breathed into us by our Creator. Our theme this year is Unrevealed Until Its Season. You may recognize that. It was part of the refrain that we sang a moment ago from the hymn, In the Bulb, There is a Flower. And to help us through this process, to help us journey through Lent, to see things in a new way, we're going to do so by looking at some of the great hymns of the church. Songs, perhaps, that that you have sung your entire life. But we're going to see if we can see God see Jesus, see our role as people of faith in a different way. The truth is, is that we learn about theology just as much from the hymns that we sing, the songs that we sing, the music that we listen to. We learn just as much about theology through that as we do anything else, including the sermon, which is really hard for me as a preacher to admit, but I will (laughs) acknowledge that. So this year, we're going to journey through Lent using hymns as our guide, and, and now, normally you may notice that at this time in the service, I give it up, and I give a little bit of an introduction to the Scripture, and then we read a text together. But for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to do something slightly different. We're going to read the Scripture first, and then I'm going to give an introduction to the hymn of the week. And so this morning, what I want you to do, normally I would invite you to open up your pupil pew pocket bibles this morning i want you to open up your hymnals now i know change is hard for some of you but work with me just for a few weeks it's just lent and i want you to turn to hymn number four holy 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 what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the the hymn we're going to have the choir sing an arrangement of that anthem And then I'll use that as the basis of my sermon, and then we'll sing it together as a response at the end. Does that sound okay? I hope so, because that's what we're doing. So, (laughs) hymn number four Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty was written back in the early 1800s by an Anglican priest by the name of Reginald Haber. Although this, along with all the other hymns that he wrote, he wrote several, uh, weren't published until after he died in 1826 by his then late wife who had everything published after he died. He wrote it uh, to be sung on Trinity Sunday, which is the Sunday after Pentecost. And what you'll notice is that it consists almost entirely of words and phrases that describe God. Holy, holy. Merciful, mighty, the one who is, who was, who is to come. We'll see phrases like hidden in darkness, incomprehensible to the human mind, worthy of praise. Now, part of what makes this hymn so compelling and so singable is the rhyming scheme. All four lines, as you'll notice, of each stanza rhyme with the word holy. And I would challenge you to find any other hymn that was written in that way. Another reason that Holy, Holy, Holy is such a timeless hymn loved by so many is its pairing with the hymn tune known as Nicaea that was named after the Nicaean Creed. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. The hymn tune was written back in 1861 by a gentleman by the name of John Bacchus Dykes. And together with the hymn tune along with the text make up one of the greatest hymns of the church. And I want to point out, too, that it is deeply rooted in Scripture. In both Isaiah 6 as well as Revelation 4, we see these hymns. We see these these scenes in which angels gather together, the cherubim and the seraphim, and they gather together on God's holy throne and they sing praises to God. So as we hear this him as we sing this hymn together, it invites us to join the heavenly choir to offer our praise. We join together with angelic creatures, glorifying God. So I invite you to listen now to "Holy, Holy, Holy." sort of feel like we should just take up an offering and go home. How does that sound? <laughs> Fred Craddock once said that the best way to preach a good sermon is to follow a good choir. And we are halfway home. The choir has done their end of the bargain. I'll see if I can hold up my end as well. Now as a pastor part of me loves the season of Lent. I love that that we are all focused on transformation, on on leaning into the spiritual disciplines of of looking at ways in which we can deepen our faith. But there's a part of me, too, that really struggles with this season of Lent, and and that is that much like the rest of our culture that tends to be very narcissistic, so much of our Lenten journey is focused on us right? It's about what I'm giving up, about what I'm taking up, about what I'm doing. It's it's all about my journey, my quest, my struggles, about my belief. But the spiritual life, especially during Lent, isn't supposed to be about me. It's not supposed to be about us. It's always supposed to be about the greatness of God. J.B. Phillips wrote a popular book not too long ago, simply entitled, Your God is Too Small. And he says that, that we have a tendency to shrink down God, to shrink God down into a size that is more manageable, but more importantly, useful for us. That we have created this image of God as, as our own personal assistant or our own energy drink to give us strength and power. We have Shrunken God into some sort of a Santa Claus that leaves gifts from time to time. But, he says, if we do that, our faith will always be just as small as our vision of God. To grow, to discover the expanse of the soul that God desires for us, maybe, maybe the first step is allowing our minds to be blown by how overwhelmingly expansive how holy, how how wise and mighty, how merciful God really is. Maybe that's part of the reason that I love this hymn. Because so many of our hymns, especially praise songs, are touchy-feely. They're so focused on on our feelings, when we started talking about adding a, a third service here at University of Christian Church and, and, and coming up with some sort of an idea of what a, an alternative worship service is, the first thing that I said was, no praise band. In part because that's not who we are as a church. I was not expecting that. It's not who we are as a church, but in the same way, so much of those praise band music is just, Happy-clappy, right? It's, it's, it's Jesus says, my boyfriend. It's, it's way too schmaltzy for me. <laughs> but holy, holy, holy isn't about our feelings. In fact, it's not about us at all. It's all about God, and it expresses the sense of awe. And being in awe is the, the gift of worship that you won't likely stumble upon on anything else in your life. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, all the saints adore you. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a whole lot less of me in my life. I need a whole lot less of of my wants and my desires and my needs, and I need a whole lot more of what God wants from me. About God's mercy, God's love in my life. I long for more awe, for more adoration in my life. Now, when we say that God is holy, what, what do we mean by that? Some would say it means sacred. Well, okay, then what does that mean? Some say, well, it's, it's essentially it's, it's refraining from evil. Well, that probably isn't too hard for God. So what is holiness? Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that in the Bible, holiness is simply this. He says, God, who was infinite and had no problems at all, created us, making space for us and for big challenges. God, who was infinite, who had no problems, created us, making space for us and for big challenges. I love that image. I love that idea, especially this time of year, during the season of Lent, because because just as God pulled back to make space and time for us... Maybe the best description of what Lent is, is that we pull back, that we rest, that we make space and time for God. Isn't that the reason that we give stuff up? Which is a typical practice during the season of Lent, we give things up, whether it's sweets or wine or Facebook, whatever those things might be, in order to realize just how dependent upon those things we have become. And to remember that our dependence is always, always on God and God alone. So during Lent, we take time to be holy, to get close to God, to mirror God's heart and mind and being. Now, I want to point out that that doesn't mean that we strive to be holy so that God will draw near to us. That's not what the point is. Instead, we draw we dare to draw near to God. Or perhaps a better way to say it is that we, we make space in order to notice God that is all around us, that is already near, that is here all the time. <clears throat> you know, when somebody comes to me from time to time with a struggle, with a complaint about their spiritual life, inevitably what they say is, I just... I just don't feel that close to God anymore. And I have to be honest with you that when that happens, there's a part of me that feels a little snarky. And I want to say, who do you think moved? If you don't feel close to God anymore, who do you think moved? Because the God that we worship is immovable. It's us that tend to retreat and move away from God. And so our task in Lent is to move back towards God, to make space to notice the nearness of God that was here all along, who never left. Now, in both the Isaiah text as well as the Revelation text that I mentioned a moment ago, the angels declare, holy, 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 repeating each word three times. Now, those texts have led other Christian theologians to reflect on God as Trinity the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is essentially a fellowship of three within God's own heart. But what does that mean? Now, I want you to know that if you struggle with the concept of the Trinity, you're not alone. In fact, theologians, Christians, have been struggling with that idea for centuries for decades, for thousands of years. I myself as a pastor, I have two graduate degrees in theology. I have mastered divinity as well as earned a doctorate, and I still struggle. I still struggle with the idea, the concept of a trinity. What does it mean that God is eternally a fellowship of three within God's own heart? There was so much debate early on That around around this doctrine, this idea of the Trinity, that early Christians back in the the year 325, that's how long Christians have been struggling with this understanding. The Roman Emperor Constantine brought together an ecumenical council made up of of pastors, of theologians, of bishops from all around the world that were said to represent all of Christendom. And he basically tasked them and says, what we need you to do is to come up with some sort of a, a creed an agreed-upon doctrine of the Trinity so that everyone will understand and everyone will be in agreement. Well, there was so much confusion and disagreement around that issue, there was this need for the creed that would help find some consensus and settle the debate once and for all. And the result of that council was the creation of what we now know as the Nicene Creed, which is the predecessor of the Apostles' Creed. And these creeds have been used as a statement of belief for mainstream Christianity, which articulates what we believe about God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And it's also, it's also what helps us understand why the tune written for the hymn that we're looking at today, Holy, 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 as I mentioned, is called Nicaea. But yet, it didn't solve the issue People continued to struggle. We still struggled comprehending this three-in-one. Is it three gods? Is it a single god with multiple personalities? Is it different essences? But then what does that mean? The truth is, church, that that confusion helped lead to the rise of Islam in the Middle Ages. Because as Christians were debating and arguing and trying to decide what that looked like, Islam came along and said, there's no debate, there's no argument, God is one, Allah, and Allah alone, there is no confusion. And a result of that is that people flocked to Islam because it was simple. There was no mystery, there was no question, there was no debate. Now, if you are one of those that struggle with those understanding of the Trinity. Let me see if I can help us by using, using music itself as a way to, to envision and understand God as Trinity. Jeremy Begbie, who is a theologian who teaches at Duke Divinity School, points out that if you play a single note, let's say the first note of the hymn that we're looking at today, I want you to notice that it fills the room. The entire space, not in one place more than any other. And so if you send, add a second note, which joins out the first without crowding out the first. And then the third note, the third holy in this situation, comes again. Now those three notes put together, form a chord or a major triad. So notice that all three notes fill the room completely, and the beauty of the full chord is even greater than the single notes played individually. Isn't that our understanding of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? that we are able to embrace the fullness of God and the fullness of God's essence. We are able to see all of the ways that we are embraced by the divine love that is perfect in power, in love, and in purity. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. Now notice, too, the order that that is listed That God's mercy is the main thing. That God's might is only a tool that God uses in effort to bring about the mercy. That God's true might is mercy. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee. Finally, the last thing that I want to say is that when we sing this, we do so not just as a church, here and now, praising God together, but instead we join our Voices with all the saints of all the years. We join our voices with with St. Francis of Assisi, with Mother Teresa, with my grandparents, with those that you have loved and lost, the saints of your life, a holy host of those that are with God, as well as the cherubim and the seraphim, all the saints praising God together. There is something remarkable about that. As I said, to grow and to discover the expanse of the soul that God longs for us to have. Maybe the first step is allowing our minds to be blown by how overwhelmingly expansive, how holy, how wise and mighty, how merciful God really is. Maybe that, maybe that is the first task of the sacred season. Of Lent. Amen.
2: Y'all, I have a confession to make. The concept of God in three persons is also very hard for me. I grapple with this concept frequently in my theology of how God works in the world. How do we distinguish each? Are they all three the same, and how? Thankfully though, Russ today has given us a framework for which has been so helpful of accord. But one place that the concept of God in three persons rings true for me is here at this table. Jesus gathered his disciples at the table to share in a sacred and holy meal. Jesus reminded us of the expansiveness of God's grace which we still remember and find here in this place every week. But the way I also see it is that the grace and love that's shared here in this place should also stir us into action, into making this world a place where all flourish and thrive and we all feel included, advocated for, and loved. And to me, that is the work of God through the Spirit. So as we come to this table. May this meal speak to us as we take bread and cup. May we know God's grace and unconditional love and may that vast and expansive love breathe itself into everything that we do so that it might guide our hands and feet and our words so that we can share the love and grace of God for all people. So, as we gather, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. And the same way, Jesus took a cup, and he blessed it, and he poured it, saying, This is the love of the new covenant poured out. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do so. In remembrance of me let us pray thank you God for the life and loving examples of Jesus just as he welcomed all we welcome all to this table to share in this meal of, re- of remembrance we partake of this bread and cup as we remember Jesus and your presence with us always